Today's topic, Atlantis Rising. Hey, it's Cheryl Sitz welcoming you to Exploring Possibilities, where we have been transforming life from the inside out in holistic spiritual ways since 2012. You'll find our entire library of shows on journeyofpossibilities.com and new episodes air through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all your favorite podcast apps, as well as youtube.com slash Cheryl Sitz. We'll keep our content free and easily accessible at your convenience, but we do appreciate your contributions at journeyofpossibilities.com slash support. Today's guest, David Arkenstone Barnett, joins us in just a moment. So I had some problems with my computer because, hey, Mercury's retrograde and we're all having problems with computers. And when Mario remoted in so that he could work on my computer from his office and my home, my convenience, in my bathrobe with my bunny slippers, I thought, you know, you should be telling people that you do this. You do this for a lot of people, don't you? Uh, actually, majority of my clients right now. I think I've only gone and visit, uh, what, two clients of mine? <laughs> Where what? everybody else is remote. Yeah. So what this means is whatever you're trying to figure out how to do or whatever's breaking that you need fixed or those funky contracts the big box stores sell you that they'll they'll fix your computer and then you have to be without it, Mario can do it while you're right there. Yeah, it's real easy. It, 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 I give you uh, a link to a website, then you give me a special code. I put that code on my software over here and I log into your computer. And so, you're watching him, so he's not going and snooping around in your emails and checkbook and stuff. <laughs> no, it, and it doesn't load anything. It's a real-time app. So once I'm done, you close out that app and it, I can't access it anymore after that. I love it. So if you're worried about privacy. See, so that's so convenient right in your living room. And you know what's even better? He's affordable. That's very true. <laughs> I don't charge you those box store prices on any of my stuff. So come on, give me a call, MarioRosales.com. Yes, international even. Yep. I've done work with people in England and, and Australia, so I've, I've been all over the place. Awesome. So he's your go-to guy for all things Tech Life Balance. Website again? MarioRosales.com. Perfect. David Arkenstone Barnett is a photographer, painter, and lecturer originally from London who's perhaps best known for ufology since his days in the Navy. His journey of self-discovery and research have led him to develop a new hypothesis on the legendary city of Atlantis, and it even includes his now homeland of New Zealand. David lectures on this, as well as painting and exhibiting related artwork. He calls that series the Atlantis Rising and Constellation Series. I had the pleasure to meet David when I was in New Zealand earlier this year, and I'm delighted that he's agreed to come on the show. Welcome, David. Very good morning to you, Cheryl. It's good morning where I am anyway. <laughs> uh, so it's lovely to, hear, lovely to talk to you again. Well, thank you for joining us. And wow, it's hard to know how, where to start, but I think my first question for folks that aren't familiar with you is, how did Atlantis become something that you have now focused your life's work on? Well, Atlantis, as you said in the intro, my life for the last 33 years has been dedicated to the the understanding and research into ufology and extraterrestrial. Um, but I would say that chronologically speaking, it was about five years ago that suddenly Atlantis came into my life. I, I, if I think back at it, I don't actually even remember when the transition occurred. Um, however, I'd been aware of Atlantis for quite some time, and that was due to uh, when I was in the in the in the Navy, which was in the the mid 1980s, and when I left the Navy, I went straight into uh, about 30 31 years of the security industry, which seemed quite a, a strange industry to go into, especially because I was brought up in a very spiritual and metaphysical um, lifestyle. 
from a very early age. Um, but by doing that, going into that industry actually brought me into connection because I did run as regional and branch manager many of the large international and national security companies here in New Zealand. And those um, those industries brought me into connection and contact with clients and particular uh, areas um, of military and so forth that uh, started to bring me into connection with more ufology, more extraterrestrial, and eventually Atlantis. Um, and that was predominantly and mostly coming from the uh, the American military that has a an establishment here in Christchurch. And because I oversaw a particular contract in relation to them, that's where suddenly Atlantis came into my my view. Um, however, I had read a lot about it over the years. There's some uh, incredible um, books out there by uh, some amazing um, authors. Um, and so Atlantis was always sort of in my peripheral vision for many years. But then suddenly, about five years ago, it came into my main focus. And that's been with me for the last five years. Thank you for clarifying that. And as you mentioned to us when we were at your home earlier this year, you said if if this is drawing to you, if this is speaking to you, then you were probably in Atlantis. Why do you say that? I think as people are becoming more and more connected to themselves uh, through personal development and spiritual paths and so forth, I think individuals recognize past life experiences. And I think they also recognize that they, they may go to a place or they may hear a sound or they may smell a smell. And then suddenly there's a memory sense that comes flooding back. Uh, it could be related to early childhood memories. And I think we, we all agree we have a lot of those. But there are times when suddenly we have a visual, um, something visually happening to us where we seem to see something visually. Um, and it may be of a specific time or a specific place. And I recognize that people were coming to the into New Zealand, in particular into the region where I live called uh, Canterbury, which is on the South Island of New Zealand. And I was meeting many people like myself who had come from overseas uh, either many years ago, like myself or recently, who just felt drawn to this particular re uh, region. And when they spoke to me about what it was I was uh, lecturing on, and I said, Atlantis, suddenly you'd, you'd see their eyes sort of widen and sparkle. And then suddenly there would be a connection and it would be, they would mostly say, God, you know, I've, I've, I've always been so drawn to Atlantis. I sort of feel so connected to that, to that word. Um, and that was seemed to be happening over the years more and more. And it was though, as I say, it's like the, the old original souls of Atlantis were returning to the original place where it all began, almost like, and I use the analogy, like a salmon that would you know, travel upstream and put itself through enormous perils to return to a place that it instinctively knew it needed to go back to, to recreate life. And so I was getting a sense that people were drawing, you know, coming back to a place where it all began. And uh, as that happened more and more and more, I suddenly realized that there was a common denominator here, and that was that the Atlantean souls were returning back to the, the original location. This seems to be a time in history when many things are circling back to completion, the Mayan calendar and, and 2012 and several, if you will, lifetimes and different 
eras on this planet seem to be coming into to some kind of a closure during this time. Is that what you believe is happening with the Atlantean times as well? Is that why you refer to your talks as Atlantis Rising? Yes, very much so. I mean, Atlantis Rising, people do ask me, what does that mean? And a lot of people say, is it the architect of Atlantis, which is the physical location of Atlantis? And originally it wasn't. Um, it was more about the spiritual aspects of Atlantis, the Atlantis blueprint, if, if you give it a better term. What was the original blueprint of the Atlanteans? What was their spiritual you know, culture and community all about and the civilization all about? Um, what was the, the journey that they were on spiritually and metaphysically? What was the technology that they used? Um, and so the rising part was the rising part within ourselves that was the journey of the spiritual self, which I think most of us recognize that we're all on a spiritual path. And many like myself, I mean, I've, I've been on the spiritual path for nearly 47 years and uh, makes me sound very old, but I was actually very young when I was brought up into the spiritual world. And we always knew and always felt that there was, as you say, a return to something. And over the years, we've all been seeking, what is that something? We know something is coming. Um, we feel it within our very fiber, but where, what is it and where is it ultimately? And so we've all been on our journeys and we've moved many, many times. I mean, I've moved to uh, different countries. I've lived in different countries and different cultures, um, seeking information and seeking knowledge, realizing now that those journeys and those livings in different places where I was, was in totality, just uh, my journey that was going to bring me to people's and informations and cultures that I could absorb into the information that I now share. So, for example, I talk that, as you know, I lived in uh, Israel for a while, um, and I call it my my Jesus life when I was connecting to everything associated with this this being called the Christ or the Jesus Christ, and everything that was associated with it. And when I was back in the UK in the early 80s, I call that my Arthurian life because I was very dedicated and working on the the legends of Arthur for example. And later on in life, I was able to recognize that there was a relationship between Jesus and King Arthur that brought everything together, the grail and so forth, and the legends. They're all connected. And so, yes, um, where I am now is very much recognizing, as you said, that we are now more now than ever on the, the verge of understanding with greater clarity who we are where we're meant to be and what is coming in the next, well, as I say, the prophecies of 2020, 2021 and 2022. So what is coming forward? I'm just dying to know what is coming forward from the Atlantean times. I, I've, heard, I've talked to a lot of people about Atlantis. There's you know, probably several different stories about it, but there seems to be a common thread that at one time there was the great city of Atlantis and then... Um, then something went wrong and it sunk or whatever. And now we've moved forward and we kind of devolved for a while. Now we've evolved back to a place where Atlantean times are again relevant and Lemurian times. Does that correlate at all to the information that you have? Very much so. And I think it was, it was good that you added in the Lemurian because a lot of people feel very connected to the Lemurian energies as well. And uh, I had a conversation some, some time ago with a lady who, who was very committed to Lemurian. And I said, you know, there's, there's absolutely room for both energies. I think both are very juxtable with each other. Um, but certainly, uh, I think most people know Atlantis through 
traditional legend. And it's no different to the legends of King Arthur. There is the, what I call the romantic um, mythological versions of who Arthur was with the, the fantasy of Guinevere and Excalibur and uh, Camelot and the knights and Merlin and all of that, which are the wonderful stories and movies that I'm sure we've all read and seen over, over our, our lifetime. The same with the stories of Robin Hood and so forth. There are the legendary or the fantasy versions. And then there's more the realism part of who, I mean, Robin Hood, Robin of Loxley. Film has gone greater depth into who this individual was. But if we go back to the days of Errol, Errol Flynn, he was a guy in green tights who wore a feather in his cap <laughs> and jumped out of trees and shot people if they were really nasty. And, he, and his merry men and all of that. And it was all very joeful. Jo but if you get down to the nitty gritty, it was you know, an individual called Robin of Loxley. Um, and the stories that had, I think, um, uh, Russell Crowe played it very well. And um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kevin Costner played it very well. And I think we got back to very much what the stories were more in keeping and in alignment with. And the same from Atlantis. I mean, most people think of Atlantis as a great golden or shimmering silver city of crystal. And it became, and it became corrupt. And as you said, quite correctly. Because of its corruptness, it sunk beneath the waves. And that's all people know. And we get that mostly from the stories of Plato in the Criterius monologues, which was the first introduction that uh, Plato talks about this, this place called Atlantis. And it was one location. But to be honest, nothing could be further than, than that. And I think where most people get stuck is in the fact that they, they believe that Atlantis was just one city, one location. And as you know, when you came here, we spoke in depth about the fact when I asked you the question, I think I did, saying, where do you think the location of Atlantis is or was? And I say this in my lectures, and, and people come up with understandably great answers. They say, in the, in, the, in the Mediterranean or the middle of the Pacific Ocean or the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or the east or the west coasts of the United States uh, or off Athens and places like that. And I, and I look at them and I say, yes, you are all correct. And then they look at me with absolute confusion. What do you mean we're all correct? And I say, you don't realize Atlantis was a global culture. It was a global civilization. Why do you think architect is the same or similar all over the world? And if you ask over the years, if you ask the professional Egyptologists or archaeologists, why are pyramids all the same shape and in the same configuration? And why do they all seem to be a reciprocal uh, in size and weight to that of the planet? Uh, um, the, the professionals will say it's just by chance. Well, okay, that's possibility. But other architect, other styles of architect, look at the great temples and these amazing constructions of walls that have blocks weighing hundreds of tons put together with such laser precision that engineers today marvel and say it would be impossible for us to construct, construct the way they did these incredible feats of architect. And they are similar architects all over the world. And again, the scholars will say that's just by chance, because if you go back five, six, seven, eight thousand years ago, they say there were no seafaring cultures. So it's just by chance that the architect is identical. 
it is just by chance that different cultures use language that is almost similar, so similar, using cartouches that are so similar to each other. That's purely by chance. Well, of course it isn't. It's because there was a great culture and it was a global culture. And, I, and as you remember, I used the analogy of the British Empire, where uh, at the turns of the 19th century, if you go back to the 19th century, the British Empire covered at least a third of the, the landmass around this planet. And the British culture and the British politic, and to a point the British uh, economy and its rules and regulations and methodologies covered a quarter of this planet. And if you were a visiting being from another world and you, say, went to India and you, and you saw English people and British people and, you know, they're talking English and they're talking English politic, you would assume, naturally, this was England. And if you asked one of those persons, is this England, they would say no. And you would ask, well, why? How can this be? And then you travel to, say, Africa, some of the original African cultures or to New Zealand or Australia or Canada. And you'd said, is this England? Well, no, it's not. Well, how can this be? Because you're all speaking this mother tongue. You're all believing and following a particular politic uh, and so forth. Why is this not England? And then the answer would be, well, England is a place. And the, the original location of our empire and our culture does come from an original location. And it is this tiny little island called England or the United Kingdom. And it's politic. And its governance is run by, in this tiny, well, not, not so much now, but the city called London. So London in itself is the original location of an entire culture and an entire empire. So when I say to people that Atlantis, yes, indeed, had a original governing location, that's one thing. But its influence and its culture and its politic and its education and its spiritualism was global. And then people start to understand why it makes more sense, that why they feel connected to Atlantis, but in different locations around the world. It's because it was one global culture. That had its origins, I take it, from the stars, since you talked about ufology before we even came into this conversation. So Atlantis is, was an extension of a culture here that originated in the stars somewhere. Well, that opens up a whole new area, a whole new chapter, of especially what I'm lecturing on now. And because I'm what's known as a generalist, which means basically that there are people who spend their lifetime focusing in their education and knowledge and science and, and, and investigation in, say, one area, say, physics or, say, mathematics or, say, um, architect or so forth. Or, uh, whereas when you're a generalist, you have a a 360-degree view of different areas of this research. So over the years, I have dabbled in physics, in particular in quantum entanglements and so forth. Um, and then there was definitely there was the archaeology, Egyptology, mathematics. And what was happening is I worked and looked at all these different areas as I evolved in my own understanding of you know traveling the world and uh, I suddenly realized that there were bridges between all of these, all this information that when you brought it all together, created one big picture. And that's why I'm an artist, because I do paint very big pictures, as, you, as you've seen. Um, and by doing so, I recognized that um, this information brought me to uh, 
a central place within myself that I was able to teach and share with people this this knowledge. New Zealand, the, the reason why New Zealand came into this, and I recognized the fact that why I came to New Zealand many years ago was not by chance. It was synchronistic. It wasn't by chance that I ended up in the New Zealand military because we were going to, I was going to experience something that was going to change my life. It wasn't by synchronicity that I ended up in Canterbury, in particular this city called Christchurch. It's because this was where things were going to happen for me. And it was, again, going to change my life. So what I can do now is, is basically, I think, as I shared with you, how can it be? What is the association between Atlantis and New Zealand? And of course, you know, I, I try and make this as succinct as possible because the lecture that I teach or I share with people at a minimum is, is about two to three hours, goes on to sometimes four and five if people want to know more. But I, I need to sort of make it so that I can fit it all into the time that we've got. So I'll do that now if that's okay, just to sort of, you know, um, make people understand Please. where I'm coming Please. from. Okay. We have to go back to a time of around about 12,000 years. And I use 12,000 years chronologically because everything fits into that particular time going back, that is. And yes, Atlantis was a, a golden culture. It wasn't, however, the only culture at that time, because I think most people understand that this beautiful planet we live in or live on um, was a central location for many cultures, for many extraterrestrial cultures. Um, very much so. It was like a united nation of, of, of cultures and of beings and of commerces and so forth in its golden, in its golden area, I think we call it. Um, and Atlantis was a, a sort of an offshoot uh, that came later from the times of Lemuria, but it was assisted in its formation by the Atlanteans, yes, but also by another great culture. Uh, or civilization of beings that were known throughout the uh, um, the Atlantean culture, and it's certainly in the Emerald Tablets of the Atlanteans, but it's also laced within the Old Testament, the New Testaments, the Nagla Gita. Different cultures and different scholars have written about these beings that were known as the Shining Ones. Now, you may have heard that name before, the Shining Ones. And they are literally laced within our culture and our religions. And when you're a generalist, you pick up that they are actually part of our culture. But most of the time they are sort of shunted aside um, because of, of their significance. They are known by another name as well, the Shining Ones, the Anunnaki. Now, I know a lot of people believe there's a slightly negative taint to the, the name the Anunnaki, but they couldn't be further from that. They are an incredibly high culture and civilization and they were the ones who assisted the atlanteans with the formation and the creation of the original atlantis and the location for that i'm going to skip aside and push the anunnaki away because they did leave and they allowed the atlanteans and other um, uh, cultures as well to evolve independently of their science and their technologies and their spiritual aspects and they removed themselves and from the from the picture completely to allow ourselves to evolve naturally. One would say, you know, we brought ourselves to a very interesting place in life, and the return of the Anunnaki is prophesied in the next couple of years, but that's another subject altogether. Once Atlantis was established, and it was an incredibly powerful and high society, um, it was a very beautiful, uh, it, was, it had a, a beautiful message and spiritual evolution. 
the 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 path of the individuals is all about connection and and association and a reciprocal relationship with nature and the planet, et cetera, et cetera. And I think many of us feel that very much inside, that that's the connection that we have. But something happened. And this is where things get a little bit wire-crossed, I would say, because legend says the Atlanteans became corrupt and brought about their own demise. There was a corruptness, but it wasn't from the Atlanteans. It was actually from a another culture that was assimilated into the Atlantean culture called the Viril. Uh, and again, that's another subject, but they were part of that egotistical side that came in and crept in and sort of governed and took over. And to a point, the Viril have been here ever since and very much part of what we experience in our politics and our governances globally at the moment, at the moment, more so now than ever, is associated with elements of their culture and so forth. But again, that's another subject. But something happened that was on a global scale, something so cataclysmic that it changed the planet itself. It changed the 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 continental aspect of this planet. It it changed the the evolution of the planet. Um, and and this is what this is what happened. And I'm going to say things that for some people they may go, that makes absolute sense. Yes, we know that we've felt that, and we've you know in our own investigations we've read that too. Others may say. That's crazy. But if you're listening to this particular radio podcast, it's because, you know, your listeners already have an understanding and a belief um, of what I'm going to be saying. But around about 12,000 years ago, the height of the Atlantean culture and other cultures that coexisted at that time, something happened cataclysmically on this planet. And it was this. There are actually um, cultures going back like the, uh, the Aborigines in Australia and Zulu tribes and so forth who have calendars going back thousands of years, thousands of years. And around about 12,000 years ago, or just after 12,000 years ago, they, those calendars and those cultures have actually documented a time when there was no moon, no moon. Now, I just want people to sort of understand and just sort of take that on board what I'm saying. Up till about 12,000 years ago, there was no moon, okay? So what does that mean? It means that the moon did not exist until about 12,000 years ago. Now, I don't know, Cheryl, if you've actually heard that theory yourself. No, this um, is brand new it, to me. <laughs> it, was, it was for me until a certain time ago when this information was presented to me. And it seems it may open up a whole new chapter to a lot of people. Um, 12,000 years ago, the moon was positioned exactly where it is today. Now, Scientists going back many years, including the great Carl Sagan, you can read his own words that state the chances of the moon in its size and weight being in the location that it is in its elliptical orbit, in its relationship orbit with this planet, that brings it to a specific distance between Earth and the sun, so that, that when the moon covers the sun, it, it is a perfect match that all those elements in place, if that's by random chance, well, the chances of that being random are absolutely zero. And that is by the, the great Carl Sagan. And there are other incredible co cosmologists and so forth and scientists who have also absolutely agreed that the location of our moon, that it's, its size and weights and so forth, and the relationship it has to this planet, its particular orbit that it has, is so unique 
and that the fact that it only faces, only, it only allows us to see one side of its face when other moons of any other of the planets have a, an orbit or a rotation that can be seen in totality. We only see one side. That all of those elements put together cannot be just by random chance. Even over the years, all the old theories of how the moon came into existence that we all grew up with, that the moon was made up of remnants of the planet Earth in the early formations of this planet 4.5 billion years ago, has been removed, that it is not part of the original make makeup of this planet at all. Um, the fact that the Earth captured the moon because of gravitational forces is, has also been completely eliminated because the moon is too big for the gravitational effect of this planet to capture it. In fact, scientists are saying now that the relationship between Earth and Moon is actually more of a binary relationship, not just Moon or Earth with a satellite going around it, but there's actually more of a binary relationship that we actually both revolve around each other. But over the years, it has been acknowledged, and most people will have heard of the hollow moon theory and so forth, or the spaceship moon theory, or who built the moon. So it has been recognized, and certainly by NASA, there are more things that go on behind NASA than most people will ever believe. And I have a very good friend who works for NASA who has obviously shared a lot of information. NASA has known for a long time about the hollow moon and so forth. And they know and they understand who's there what's happening there um, and why it is in its location and what its purpose is. But what most people don't know is the fact that the moon was originally not in uh, orbit around this planet up until about 12,000 years ago. So what did that mean? What did that do? Well, it means what was Earth like before the moon arrived? Well, the first thing that it was happened or with the, 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 the location of uh, this planet was in fact the planet was upright. And by that I mean, as we all know, we have magnetic north and true north. And the reason we have true north is because there was a time when the planet was tilted upright. Okay. When the moon came into Earth orbit, it changed everything. The gravitational effect and the gravitational forces that it applied upon the Earth changed everything, which seems ludicrous to, to destroy or to change the beauty of what this planet used to be like, but of course it had an effect that was going to play out in the future and it needed to happen. So as the gravitational effects occurred on this planet, the first thing that happened catastrophically was that it tilted the planet Earth by 23.5 degrees to its current location. And by doing that, it had another major effect, which was of course it created what's known as uh, crust displacement. Now crust displacement, most people may or may not have heard of in the early 50s was a concept that was presented by an amateur archaeologist uh, known as Charles Hapgood. And Charles Hapgood realized and recognized that we had these floating continents. But it wasn't just the continents that floated, it was the entire crust of the planet that seemed to float on the mantle of the planet. Now, when he presented his findings and his ideas to his, you know, to 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 the the uh, science of the time, he was ridiculed and he was poo-pooed, and he was um, looked upon and looked down upon as an idiot. But there was one person who absolutely believed in his conceptual ideas, 
and who said that, yes, you are correct. You need to continue with this research because I believe absolutely what you're saying. And that was Albert Einstein. In 1958, Charles Hapgood released his first book, The Shifting Earth. The foreword to that book was by Albert Einstein. Today, crust displacement is absolutely 100% Googleable, <laughs> which means you can type it into Google and you can read all about it. It is scientifically proven. It is, it is accepted without question that our crust shifts on the mantle. So what did that mean? It meant that 12,000 years ago, crust displacement took place because of the gravitational forces that were applied upon this planet by the entry of the moon. It shifted everything south, all the continents, the entire crust shifted some 3,000 kilometers south. This is where it gets interesting in regards to what I call location, location, location with Atlantis. Because, of course, Atlantis was on a continent. It was on a, it did have a central location. Yes, it was a global culture, but it had its original location. That location, of course, shifted to where it presently is now. But so did every continent. So did the entire crust shift to its current locations as it is now. Through the security industry, I came into connection, as I said, with particular contracts and in particular military contracts that alerted me or brought me into connection to the original location of Atlantis and where it is now. And I think a lot of people will have no problem nodding their heads with agreement when I say that the original location or the location of Atlantis or the architect of Atlantis, where it exists now, is Antarctica. So most people now will be going, yes, we know that. We've heard of that. And over the years, more and more information was coming my way that alerted me to that fact. Some years ago, I managed a national security company um, as its um, regional manager here in Christchurch. And one of my staff who worked for me, and I had a few hundred staff, knew everyone knew what I was into. I never hid it. And one of my senior supervisors, uh, security supervisors, came to see me. And he, we used to call him the Admiral. He was originally with the U.S. Navy, Naval Engineers back in the early 60s. And he was about 65 years old. And he was an amazing man. And he came to see me one day and he said, um, I was one of the original uh, engineers back in around about the early 60s who helped to build the U.S. McMurdo in Antarctica back in the 60s. And he said, we used to, when we finished our work um, during the day, me and my buddies, we would sit on the ice pack and we would just watch UFOs flying all over the place. So that was one of the first times, that, and I'm going back maybe, you know, um, nearly 20 years ago when he first presented me with that, that Antarctica had this uh, incredible uh, existence of UFOs and, and extraterrestrials and so forth. So I became steadily aware through connections like that that something was going on down there. I also know, as many people would know, if they read the, the writings and the diaries of Admiral Richard Byrd, who was very connected to Antarctica going back 1927. And then when he confronted the Germans uh, in the, the late 30s, uh, when the Germans, through Hitler, sent a flotilla to Antarctica to engage the Varil, and America was aware of that and sent Admiral Byrd with a flotilla to go down there and to um, um, connect and stop the Germans from connecting with the Varil. That's another story altogether. Again, it's Googleable. You can read the stories of Richard Beard 
bird and what happened down in Antarctica. But what it kept sharing with me was that something was going on in Antarctica. But I think the one that really um, impacted upon me, uh, two things happened. In 2016, of December of 2016, uh, Buzz Aldrin, the NASA astronaut, and most people know who Buzz Aldrin is with Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and John Kerry. Now, John Kerry was uh, the Secretary of State under the Obama administration during that time. And in 2016, John Kerry and Buzz Aldrin were in Antarctica. Now, over a period of 12 months, most of the heads of state uh, most of the heads of the religions, including the Pope, uh, the Greek Orthodox uh, minister uh, um, um, and the rabbis and so forth, many of the great uh, um, religious leaders have all been in Antarctica, um, which seems strange. Um, they're not visiting uh, the penguins down there for certain. Even our own, even our own New Zealand Ministry of Defence, um, the head of our Ministry of Defence was down there. Members of the royal family. Putin, Obama, they've all been to Antarctica over the last, well, between 2014, 15, and 16. But in particular, December of 2016, uh, Buzz Aldrin and John Kerry were there. Again, this can be, you know, you can read all about this, but what you won't read is what happened next. And that is Buzz Aldrin on the ice pack suddenly had, excuse the pun, a meltdown, a complete mental meltdown, and had to be airlifted instantly and flown by C-130 to Christchurch, where he was admitted into the Christchurch hospital. Now, I was managing a major company here in Christchurch when I got a phone call by the head of security at the Christchurch hospital, who happened to be A, a dear friend of mine, and B, the person I appointed into that position a few years earlier when I ran that particular security company. So he rang me at my office and he said, you're not going to believe who we've got in quarantine right now. I said, well, who? He said, Buzz Aldrin. And I said, you mean NASA Buzz Aldrin? He said, yes, the very same. I said, what on earth is he doing in quarantine? He, he said, he's just been flown in. He had a major mental meltdown in Antarctica. And as he was flying over, he tweeted the words, my God, my God, they're there. They're there. The pyramids, they're there. And then he spoke about what we, we, we deem the viril. They're evil. They're totally evil meaning the Viril. Now, three hours later, that tweet, which was read by probably millions, was deleted, but he was still screaming and raving in the isolation ward that he'd been put into the very same words. They're there, they're there, the pyramids, it's all there. The only person who was allowed to see Buzz was the NASA representative based here in Christchurch. We actually have a NASA office permanently based here, and there's and that's for a reason as well, which I'll go into shortly. So the head of NASA here was the only person allowed to see him, and he was in isolation for about a week. Uh, of course, there are you can read all about it, and you'll see lovely pictures of Buzz sitting upright in his bed with a big smile, and that is sort of like a week later after all the shenanigan that happened. So I was brought into that picture. I was made aware of actually what happened behind the scenes and why he was airlifted out. The other thing that I was made aware of, again, through working with the security industry, was a particular contract that I oversaw, um, which was for the uh, American Air Force's Deep Freeze project, which has been operational in New Zealand or in Christchurch since the, the mid-60s onwards. And that is next to our international airport, the U.S. Air Force 
has a huge hangar and part of the terminal or the runways of the airport is dedicated to the US military and that is called deep freeze and that is the Americans means to get between uh, the outside world and McMurdo in Antarctica and so all the C-130 flights are, uh, are only out of Christchurch directly through to Antarctica and round about 20 odd years ago it came to my attention that um sorry about this was about maybe five years ago but about 20 years ago the Americans started bringing technology that they had discovered in Antarctica and they were storing it here in their hangar in Christchurch now I the head of security who I know very well there had confirmed this and of course I was aware of it as well um, but in particular, they brought over what are known as the harmonic crystal or the crystal harmonic generators. And the crystal harmonic gener generators are exactly that. Um, they are the source, the, the power source, the uh, energy source that the Atlanteans used at the height of their culture. And those that technology, those crystal technologies uh, were at the heart of the Atlantean culture. Uh, and I think a lot of people, again, will nod and recognize the connection definitely with crystals and with um, Atlantis. Yes. But in particular, yes. these harmonic generators in particular, which were the source of the Atlanteans' culture or their energy, which again was created through a symbiotic relationship with the Earth's magnetic fields, um, which, of course, was reproduced in the, in the 20th century by the great Nikola Tesla. All the technology that Tesla created in harmonic generators uh, and so forth was, he himself will claim, was based on Atlantean technologies. But at the time, he could only use the technologies that existed at that particular time. These harmonic generators create high-frequency standing wave energy. That is at the heart of what they produce, high-frequency standing wave energy. And that is the symbiotic relationship, again, that these crystals um, have with the planet itself this beautiful harmonic connection and that is the heart of the atlantean cultures this beautiful energy the individuals themselves the atlanteans or as we do now why do you, why do you think we all wear crystals why do we walk around with crystals around our necks or on our fingers or on our pockets or as women sometimes wear them down the bra um, why is that it's because there, there's that memory of a time that we use crystals as, as readily as we use our F-Post and Visa cards now. We used and we had and we worked with these crystals um, as a symbiotic connection again um, with this planet. So the harmonic generators are stored here in Christchurch. And this is, again, um, I'm aware of that. I've seen that. And again, the, the people that I associate with even today, who are the heads of the securities that look after all of that, have confirmed that to me as well. So I'm very much aware of the technology that has been stored in this location. But why this location? Why was it so important for the Americans to house themselves here in Canterbury, here in Christchurch specifically? Because in fact, you can indeed fly to Antarctica slightly closer if you were to establish yourself in Australia and in particular in Tasmania, in Hobart. It's closer. It's equally as feasible to fly from Hobart than it is to from Christchurch to Antarctica. What was it that significantly the Americans 
needed to establish the connection here in Christchurch. And this is where it gets very interesting. Remember I said about crust displacement and everything shifted approximately 3,000 kilometers to the south. Well, yes, the continent that, became, that was of Atlantis shifted. And this is when the story gets a little diluted when it says that Atlantis sunk beneath the waves. Well, it sort of did. It did get encased in water, not just the way that it was thought of, because when the continent of Atlantis shifted to its current location, was it, it went to a colder temperate climate and it froze over. So technically, one could say that it did get immersed in water because it was frozen in ice. But the part that's of interest and the connection as to why Americans established themselves here is because New Zealand took up the location, the original location of Atlantis. So where we sit here now is ground zero of where the continent and the culture of Atlantis used to be, right here. Again, the significance of that is this. Again, why are the harmonic generators being stored here? Because again, I said that the Earth's energies and magnetic fields, which by the way changed significantly when the moon came into Earth orbit, up to that point, the symbiotic relationship between these crystals and the Earth's energy fields also changed. But we sit on ground zero of where those original energies occurred right here. And many people will understand what I mean by the, the energy nodules that exist around the planet. Some people call them the Earth's chakras, um, the ley lines and so forth, the grid system that it is known by, or the anti-gravity grid system. Uh, of course, Tesla knew all about that and was able to work with those energy lines that um, encase this planet like a, an incredible lattice. The Atlanteans also used the energy of this planet in a beautiful symbiotic relationship and a beautiful harmonic relationship. But as Antarctica, or sorry, when Atlantis moved to its location and New Zealand took up the location, the land location, this has now become ground zero for those energies of the original Atlantis. So it made sense as to why the Americans needed to bring these harmonic generators and locate them right here because of course they will work harmonically here again but something else is happening and that is of course as i spoke to you about we're going through polar shift right now and that adds another dimension as to why the americans base this technology here and a lot of people again may recognize it when i talk about polar shift polar shift is a natural event it is something scientifically proven you can type it into google and you'll see that the planet goes through periodically a, a time when our poles actually flip backwards and forwards. So north becomes south, south becomes north. This is, this is absolutely 100% proven. It's a natural occurrence in our planet. We're actually going through a major polar shift right now that is quite unique. In fact, a lot of people may not know that our magnetic north, we have true north and magnetic north. Our magnetic north has shifted nearly 2,800 kilometers to its current location, which is almost over Canada, okay? is causing absolute havoc with airlines and satellite firms and so forth because our magnetic field is radically changing so quickly that they can't keep up with the changes that are occurring. In fact, I can read something very quickly. The world magnetic model um, is updated every five years to account for the shifts to the field, and the last one took place in 2015. However, in 2016, part of the magnetic field temporarily accelerated 
deep under North and South America in the Eastern Pacific Ocean, which was according to the, the, Nash, the international very reputable science journal called Nature. By 2018, scientists at the US National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration and the British Geological Survey realized they needed to release an updated world magnetic model because it had become so inaccurate that it was about to exceed the acceptable limit for navigational errors. So does that make sense? It means that our magnetic field has changed so dramatically that it is causing uh, real issues and problems, especially for the likes of airlines and shipping, where all rely on navigation satellite. And of course, that's in relation to the Earth's geomag geomagnetic fields and so forth. And that is being disrupted so much so that it's causing major problems. It's moving so quickly that, in, as I say, in the last 120 years, the Earth's electromagnetic poles have shifted 2,800 kilometers. And every day and every year, they're speeding up further and further. It is proclaimed that within the next two to three years, our poles are going to completely flip. And that's another subject altogether about <laughs> what does that mean on a geological <laughs> aspect. Again, you can see being a generalist, you can do lectures within lectures. Okay, and I have to put everything together in two hours. No, but um, it's fabulous. I mean, you've shared so much that's that's really, it's just my head's kind of spinning right now. But you know what? I guess my lingering thought from all of this is, we once worked in harmony with the planet in in capitalizing on the ley lines for energy source and. I would assume that we're going to go back to that again. But, you know, of course, we've got to get beyond this capitalist thinking about, you know, how much money are we going to lose if we don't have electricity and, and gas running things. And um, But I is is that why you believe that Atlantis is coming back, the full circle that we're coming to is to get back to a more harmonious relationship and proper access to and use of, of power? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. And this is something that the people listening to this and certainly the people that I associate with and have done over the years all over the world, we all have that absolutely same belief, which is we are sick and tired of um, the, the technologies and the, and the, and the, the means to, to power this, this planet. Um, we're sick and tired of seeing the planet being decimated and raped. Tesla knew how to reproduce and recreate the Atlantean technology using the technologies of the time, alternating currents and so forth, um, free-flowing energy. He knew that the planet was immersed in a, a field of energy that harmonically he could tap into and that he could transfer the energy to any place on the planet at no cost, as long as you had a transmitter and a receiver you would be able to work harmoniously with the planet's energies in this beautiful symbiotic relationship. And as we know, history shows us that um, that technology was when he created it, and he did create it. Um, uh, he, 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 when he was funded by the great financier J.P. Morgan, and uh, through that funding, he was able to create his famous tower, um, which was then shut down and, and taken apart when he actually created this free flow energy. Now, I don't know if a lot of people would know this, although they will know certainly the name of what I'm going to say. 
the experiment and the successful experimentation of free flow energy and its transfer between one place to any point of the globe was actually successfully carried out by Tesla uh, in an event. You may have heard of Tunguska, Cheryl, you know, the, 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 yes. the, the story of the, the Tunguska meteor, which flattened an entire area in Siberia yes. and was put down to a, a comet or a meteor, I should say, sorry, a meteor. It wasn't. It was Tesla. Tesla chose an area to uh, transfer this wave of energy from point A to point B. And he needed a point B for it to, to go to in an area that was free of people being around, that it was a safe location. And Morgan wanted to see the application of this free flow energy. So he chose the area that famously became a Tangaska event. Tesla was silenced by doing, he had to sign a non, uh, a non um, an NDA yes. that basically reduced him to absolute silence. And of course, the famous story is, of course, that it was a meteor. Um, but of course, it wasn't. And um, uh, even, I think I'm just trying to find even the date that it happened, which was, I'm just trying to find it was significant. Because Tesla knew the harmonic frequency of this planet using the the golden ratios and um, working with the numbers of the of the planet and the universe, and of course those numbers uh, that Tesla came up with was the numbers three six nine, which is the harmonic frequency of the planet three six nine, and to make things happen, if you work in um, in, in relationship to those numbers, that's where you have harmonic effect. The Tunguska. Uh, event actually happened on the 30th of June, 1908, which if you reduce 30 June and 1908, you get 369, okay? <laughs> which when you put those numbers together, you get nine, which is, again, is a, tra a, uh, tra a transcending number and so forth. So it's all about numbers and so forth. But 369 crops up uh, through religion and histories and so forth. And if you work out the the numerology in, uh, in many of these events, you come up with 369. And Tesla knew that number. He actually knew it as the pulse of the universe, he called it. Um, so Tunguska was the cause and effect of the application of free flow energy. So the location of that original, uh, of that original energy flow is where we sit right here now. That is why America, the American military, uh, set up deep freeze here in Canterbury or in Christchurch. It is why the harmonic generators are stored here. Um, and in fact, New Zealand has some of the highest um, UFO sightings than anywhere else in the world. And that is, again, not by chance. And of course, I had first hand experience of those connections when I was in the, the New Zealand uh, Navy. So you can see how it all fits in together. So me being here in this particular time, in this particular location, again, is of enormous significance to the work that I do today. I was blown away by the sky there at night. I mean, I'm sure there are UFO sightings because I could not believe just it was like we I haven't seen a night sky like that in Texas since I was little because of all the light pollution and all the, and it was just beautiful to see plus where you are in the planet and just the most amazing night skies. I'm sure you do guys, you do have a lot of entry and exit from there. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, we have, I mean, one of the, one of the, probably the most well-known, certainly in New Zealand authors of the extraterrestrial connection 
globally, but particularly in New Zealand, was by the late, great uh, um, Bruce Cathy. And Bruce Cathy was based in Auckland, um, and he was originally an airline pilot for many, many years for the early Air New Zealand uh, and so forth, and the, and the um, New Zealand uh, National Airways and so forth. And he was basically the father of what's known as the anti-gravity grid system. And you can still uh, find his books in Amazon and so forth, Harmonic 695, Harmonic 33, Pulse of the Universe. And he was the first person to understand that the planet is encased in this incredible anti-gravity uh, grid, uh, which we can call ley lines and um, uh, energy lines and so forth. And of course, that's what the the the, the UFOs um, utilize when they uh, come into Earth orbit. They use these grid lines as a monorail system. And in fact, very similar to how we use mono, uh, modern monorail, which is just um, um, magnetic fields that are reversed that create a buoyant effect, which means you can move at enormous velocities and so forth. And the anti-gravity grid system is known as anti-gravity because it does create an anti-gravitational effect around the planet. And the uh, UFOs do indeed use them to traverse around the planet, which again is why people say when they have seen them, they move at phenomenal velocity. It's because the actual grid itself vibrates or oscillates at the speed of light. And therefore, any object that is uh, attached to it can traverse and move at equal speeds as well. They don't obviously move at the speed of light because when they're connected to Earth's field, there's still wind resistances and so forth uh, that reduce that. But they do have technologies that can actually um, uh, move beyond that. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing what you've been dedicating yourself to for all these years. It's really an interesting way that you weave everything together. And, and I do hear a lot of truth in that, what feels like truth for me. So, so thank you for sharing all of this with us today, David. You are very welcome. We appreciate you so much. And thank you, listener, for joining us today. Let us know what you think at journeyofpossibilities.com. And we'll look forward to having you join us next time on Exploring Possibilities.